All right. Man, what a blessing today has been thus far. Seeing these smiling kiddos doing their funny dances and cheesing all the way. Seeing happy parents, making sure to get everything recorded and seen. It's been a great day. It's been a great day. But what a great privilege we have to be able to spend time together in this free place that we should never take for granted to enjoy and experience the opening of God's Word together. So I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, that is going to be on page 860. That's a big no-no. That is a big no-no. Sorry. But page 860, I just want you to know, I don't randomly toss around Bibles, all right? (laughs) Thanks, Trent. Thanks. So where do we go from here? All right. Well, now I'm red, so there's my Christmas decoration for you guys. All right. So we're going to be in page 860, 861 in the Pew Bibles. And as always, it's our invitation to, to our offer for you, if you don't have a copy of God's Word that you can read in modern-day English, we believe that this version that we use, the, the Christian Standard Version, is uh, one that is both accurate, but it's also very readable. And that is our gift to you, not only just to use in this moment, but we don't. if you need a Bible, please take it. It's, it's our gift to you to have it in your hands. And ultimately, we hope you read it and it gets in your heart and you see what God can do in God alone. Because we want to hear what God has said. And so we've been looking over the last few weeks at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, whenever we enter Christmas time, we do all kinds of things that we don't normally do. Let's just be honest. Uh, most of the time throughout the year, you don't get out and put lights on your house. I mean, you may have different holidays, but for the most part, when it's a random Tuesday in May, you probably don't be like, oh, I want to decorate with blinking lights and compete with my neighbors right? We usually don't do that kind of thing. Uh, when it comes to Christmas uh, decorations it's, and Christmas time, it's different. We usually don't say, you know what, I just want evergreen everything. Uh, that's not something we do on a random day in September. Uh, whenever we, we think about Christmas, we, we don't just like, oh man, I want poinsettias every time of the year. I mean, Mother's Day, we don't give out poinsettias. There's different things that we do, uh, and there's certain songs that we sing at at Christmas time. And we've delegated them. I know a few weeks ago we had some some folks here, and they they were talking about how, you know, I've heard people say that Christmas songs are only for Christmas time, and so I sing them all the time of the year. That's their thing. That's great. I'm glad they do that. But there's certain songs we're like, we look at people and like, all right, you do realize that it's April, right? Um, Please don't. Now, I realize that if you're in the South, where I'm from, Leaving Christmas lights on your house all year round is acceptable. Um, but, uh, but for the case in, uh, of today, we're, we know that's probably not something we normally do. But our whole goal in all those things that we do is to proclaim something big. It's an announcement with, with displays, announcement with songs, announcement with gifts, announcement with, with proclamations, with stories, with movies. I mean, all kinds of things. It's an announcement that something big and something different is about this season. And we know as Christians 
That something different is Jesus. Is His coming. Is His arrival. That the promised one that was promised all the way back in the beginning of Genesis has arrived. And then we see not only what that arrival, but what He does. Who He becomes. What He does on the cross and how He overcomes the grave. And we understand that's the reason it changes everything. But something about Christmas says we want to declare it. But I I hope that we don't limit that declaration, that desire to make a, a, a statement to be only limited to Christmas season. Because today we're looking again at a sermon that Jesus spoke, a proclamation that he made. And I would say it is not only impactful at Christmas, it's impactful every day of our lives. And people need to hear the impactful words and proclamation of Jesus, not just during the Christmas season. Not just until December 25th, but every day. And God has entrusted it with us so that we may hear it, we may respond to it, and we may follow and proclaim it to others. That that which was given to us, we may also give. So we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, these, these three chapters in 5, 6, and 7, and we've been doing like a crash course, blazing speed. I mean, I have not even begun to really delve deep into what Jesus has shared. But as an overview, we've been looking at it together, and I'm going to ask us to look at it again today as we read Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 7 through 14. Would you stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word? This is what he proclaimed in that sermon. That is the greatest sermon of all. He says in this closing portion, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. For who among you, if his son, ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, ouch, Jesus, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Therefore, whatever you want to do for others, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. And how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. Let's pray. Lord God, today we've we've read from some of your proclaimed words. It has been preserved for us by the Holy Spirit. It was inspired by His work and made available so that we would know what is truth, what is what is justice, what is righteousness. What is conviction? And most important, we'll know who is Jesus and how He fulfills all of those. Today, help us to hear from You. 
more than anyone else. And I would ask that in my role here, standing before this people, that you would help me just be your servant. A shepherd, yes, but a servant unto you, the good shepherd. May you be the one who is proclaimed as the mighty one today. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. Now, we always have a goal every week when we proclaim the word, whether it's in our life groups or Awana or here during the worship gathering, our goal is to help people understand God's word. Because in understanding God's word, they can understand the one who spoke it. Um, We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God who gave us the Bible. And we recognize that because he gave us the Bible, he has a purpose for us to know the Bible so we may know him. It's an important aspect. And so our, one of our greatest goals is helping people understand what it says. And I'm thankful we live in a place where it's available in our language. We should never take that for granted and should seek to, to dive in and, and hunger for it and, and discern it and read it amongst others and, and share with one another what we're learning together. But we need to see what it says, but we also need to see what it means. Looking back and see, realizing that the Bible was given and written over a period of about 1,500 years on three different continents, in three different languages, by about 40 different authors, all of them inspired and moved by the Holy Spirit to breathe out God's Word. All of them. But these books, they came together, all of them, to proclaim the Gospel, but to say something in that time and place that is held, that meaning sticks, But it has application for us today. So we see what it means and how it applies, the significance it has even today. But then it leaves us with this choice, this this question. What are we going to do about it? Here the Apostle Matthew is seeking to write to the early church. Matthew was one of the original twelve, if you will. And uh, he was a tax collector and followed Jesus, a Jewish tax collector. And so when he writes this gospel from his eyewitness perspective of everything he saw in the life and ministry, death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, is saying, this is the Messiah. The one who was promised, the one who was provided, the one who fulfills. And he's declaring this to the people so they understand that Jesus is that provider of grace. And here on the Sermon on the Mount, it's proclaiming Jesus his message to the people, to the masses, that the greatest need people have is for righteousness. Not self-righteousness, not attempted righteousness, not partial righteousness, but genuine God-graced righteousness upon their life. Something that they could never achieve for themselves. And Jesus is declaring what that means to have it, to know Him, and to receive it. So as we look at this Sermon of Sermons, by the king of kings, we have to aim for ourselves today. And that is, if we're hearing the sermon of sermons from the king of kings, then we need to hear Jesus. Our aim today is to trust Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to experience Jesus. And congratulations, that's the points of the sermon today. That doesn't mean get up and go. But what does that mean when we hear Jesus? First, we need to hear the message of his gift. That when Jesus opens up this, this sermon, he speaks the word about blessing, gift, receive something and he's talking about this gift that comes with a promise that these things that he tells us are available are good as guaranteed they're promised from him but they also have a purpose they're a gift with a purpose that that would be something distinctive 
transformed about the believer, about the follower of Christ. That they would be as evidential as salt is in food. When you put salt in food, you know there's salt in food. Unless you have absolutely no taste, and, and maybe even if you don't have taste, you might still be able to taste salt. I'm not even sure on that. Because I have taste, and, and I, I love it. I mean, I mean, obviously, I've got taste, right? Um, but there's a purpose for this. That you would not be people that are concealed, but you would be evidential pieces of what, what God has done in a life. Much like a city on a hill is a testimony to people that have a history and a purpose and, a, and, and, and make the most of that land. You would be people that said, we've received the gift of Jesus and, and we're building on it. We're following what he said and it points back to his history of his work in us. That you would be like a light to the world, not hidden and concealed, but giving light and evidence of his work in your home and in your workplaces and in the places that you have been placed by God's providence to be leveraged for His good. That you would understand this gift, it, it, it comes at a cost. It comes with provision by Jesus. That if the gift was available or only available because you earned it, then Jesus totally smacks that down. He, he totally de- demolishes that attitude when saying that, that he has not come to totally just do away with everything that was written before. That all of this in the beginning, all this before Matthew, all these 39 books, they, they have an intent, a purpose that God has provided. And Jesus is saying that's not wrong, it's just incomplete. And if you were left with it and left without him, you are left incomplete. And if you are a person that's in this room, you're like, well, I don't even have the Old Testament. You're incomplete. And even if you had the Old Testament, you're incomplete until you have Jesus, who is the one who has dotted every I, who has crossed every T and fulfills it. It's a gift of provision because he fulfills. But it also is a gift of provision because he floods us with the knowledge that if we do not have him, we are guilty. We're the breakers of the law. That is a flood that leaves a devastation behind us. Any of you ever experienced a flood? Maybe you've seen it on TV, but any of you ever experienced one? I mean, I could kind of talk tediously about the flood we had here, and and it was a problem. It was definitely an inconvenience, but it wasn't devastating to us, I don't think. I've been in the wake of people that have experienced a flood where all of their belongings are gone. Every bit of history they've ever uh, brought together and, and, and compiled in life is wiped away. That's what Jesus does when he, rec- he, he reconciles to us that without him, there's this flood of knowledge that we are lost. But also that in the middle of that flood, there's a hand of grace that forgives. That Jesus has come to be that forgiver for us. That when we see our guilt of not just, okay, I've tried to live the best commandments, I've tried to do the right things, I've tried to be good and honorable to my family and the people I work with or whatever else it means, we still see that sin is there and we need a forgiver. Whether it's the hatred we've had in our heart or, or the, the thoughts that we've had in our mind about another, Jesus deals with a forgiveness that reaches not just an outward shell of righteousness, but the inward heart. And man, that's an impactful statement. 
Because if anybody had the outward shell game going, it was the, some of the people in the audience of the day. Many of them Pharisees, people that were keepers of the law. And they had gotten to a point while their intent was good to be followers of the faith, to, to live out the Old Testament. They had worked to a point that, that the outward behavior, the outward speech, the outward conduct was what mattered most. The outward status symbol. I mean, they had the self-help game all the way to the fullest degree. They were the model. But Jesus would have the most cruelest words for them. Because while the outside shell looked polished, had the veneers, man, the inside was corrupt and decaying. Jesus compared it to the what's inside of a mausoleum. Death. And so Jesus is letting people know that there's a righteousness that is not achieved on your own. There are certain things you cannot pull yourself up by your own bootstraps with. And that is the act of, that's the area of the soul. But Jesus facilitates it. He forgives that corruption. He cleanses it. And then He facilitates a new life. Where everything is different. Where our our goals of our homes, our goals of our words, our goals of our actions are not merely outside things. They're an overflow of what's already on the inside. You see, you can have Good conduct on the outside, but be lacking character on the inside. You know that, right? You can have people that, man, they they clean up good. But the inside character is just deplorable if you really got to know them. But what you can't have is someone that has deep down rooted good character without an overflow of conduct. See, if someone is has something transformed inside, their character is overwhelmed and and united with Christ, that is going to have a natural overflow. It can't be kept in. Jesus says it's not a part of the possibility. And it's certainly not a part of the purpose. It's going to overflow. It's going to transform. But not only does Jesus facilitate it, He finishes it. We talked about in verse 5, chapter 5, verse 48, that Jesus' whole goal was to be perfect for us. As the Heavenly Father is perfect. And if that's the case, we don't finish well. <laughs> we, you would have to grade on a major, major curve. And even then, perfection is not the aim I could get. But Jesus can. He finishes it. It's a message of His gift. It's a message of His guidance that it has certain requirements. We talked about these last week. That these, these requirements are for us to seek Him and His righteousness and His kingdom. And these are not separate. We're not just to aim at heaven but not look at holiness and righteousness. We're not meant to aim at righteousness without having eternity impacted. And if righteousness is impacted, we're going to look at the world and see faces and say, I've got to help them get to eternity. And if I want eternity, I've got to see that righteousness is the only way to get there. So I've got to help people understand righteousness. They're together. And all of those are found in Jesus. That's the requirement. And that when we find this in Jesus, there's a revolution about our life. Not only in the conduct, but in the acts of faith. That we see that these actions of giving and prayer and fasting, they are revolutionized. 
Because for once, it's not just, oh, I'm trying to make myself feel good by putting something in a plate or giving something to a charity or texting something to a disaster relief. It's not just, oh, I'm just saying something in the open air to try to vent and feel better about myself. It is actually saying, God, you can do so much more with this. And and I wouldn't even have it if it wasn't for you in the first place. So use it how you will. And I don't even care if anybody knows. I just want to give it because I see what you've given me. And when I talk, God, I thank you that, that you actually care. You actually listen. And not only do you listen, you've promised you. You, the God who's got so much other things. You're not limited. And yet you care for my cares. And so when I'm praying to you, you can do so much more and you can transform my life. And when I'm fasting and saying, God, I want to live a life that's sacrificial, it's not just for my own piety, but it's so that I can draw closer to you. It revolutionizes how we live. It also brings relief from the cares of this world because once again we're we're focused and see because of his gift of righteousness that yes sometimes the day-to-day struggle is tiresome it's wearisome it's burdensome but what jesus does is he takes care of our daily provisions and lets us know that he will never leave us or forsake us but he also gives us a relief so that on that day when that last breath is there when that last heartbeat pumps when that last activity of the brain happens that is not the end there is relief that is eternal not only is there relief there's righteousness a righteousness that transforms our actions it's interesting when we get to the very end of this sermon this message that is so so potent so good and and people have spent centuries studying it it's interesting when jesus gives back to the The key point of righteousness. Here in the beginning of chapter 7, he talks about do not judge so that you won't be judged. For And and people take that verse and they'll just strip it out and say, I just take that one verse and that's what Jesus means. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Don't judge lest you be judged. And, And that's what it means. That's the full extent of their knowledge of the Bible. But that would be kind of ludicrous, right? I mean, how... How many of you go through life each day where you have to make certain kind of judgments? You do. I mean, if you're, if you're uh, in the medical field, you've got to look at the, the amount of medicine you're given. You've got to make a judgment that that is what the, 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 the uh, prescription was. This is how much I've put in here. You don't just make a, oh, I'll just wing it, a little smidge, that'll work. You know, that would be terrible. How many of you have tried to uh, cook something and you said, oh, I don't need a recipe. I'll just throw in the, your ingredients and see how it turns out. Yeah, <laughs> probably not the best at times. Every now and then you might have the miraculous concoction. You're like, I was never one ever discovered this before. But we have to make certain judgments. But Jesus is not saying just lose your mind and never make any discernible call whatsoever. How many of you, whenever you, you've sat through a class, you've decided, all right, I think this person knows what they're talking about, or I've discerned they have no clue. They have absolutely no clue. Am I not supposed to judge that? I'm supposed to be like, oh, well, everything I've ever known or been taught is wrong. Okay, let's just do something else, scrap it out. Well, I hope you don't do that, although I do know some people that will do that. The first case they come with, someone that supposedly is an expert, everything they've ever saw, everything they've ever experienced, all of a sudden someone who says, I'm an expert, 
expert, bleh, got tongue tangled. And they'll just be like, oh, well, scrap all this I've ever known. Don't be foolish. Use some judgment. Use some discernment. But what Jesus is speaking about here is those that would automatically maliciously look at the content and the character, or at least the supposed character of their life, and measure themselves up and say, I have no need of anyone else's help, anyone else's grace, anyone else's kindness. I have no need for anybody else's nonsense or behavior or relationship. I have no need for it. In fact, I make a judgment call that I am highly exalted above them and they will never reach this. That is malicious. That is sinful, that is deceitful, that is false, and that is anti-gospel. And Jesus has words for that. That's the kind of discernment you do not need to carry. You need to be wise. You need to be shrewd. Jesus speaks about these, and if you just leave it alone with this, then you're missing a lot more of what Jesus said about judgment. But you need to do it with a season of grace. Not being a person that says, well... I'm going to try to deal with the really small problems that everybody else has, but I'm going to deal with the huge honking moral issue that I'm actually walking through. How dare you? How dare we? That is not a good judgment call. That is a hypocritical one. Jesus speaks about what it is that he gives righteousness. He says, when I give this righteousness, Don't just deal with it as if it's unimportant, as if it's a holy moment here, but later on it's something you toss out to the dogs. By the way, the imagery there is what Jesus would talk about with the sacrifices. That once they were done with, and once the the priest had eaten their portion, they would just throw the bones and everything else that was out in the garbage, and the dogs would just devour it. Something that was supposedly and, and was holy in the moment is now just dog food. It's, not, it's considered worthless in the eyes of people. And, and, don't, and don't just consider like your, your, your pearls that have received, I mean, pigs that have received pearls. Don't toss it out like that. As if it's just common mud and dirt. It's something big. Jesus causes us to see a message of his guidance. He also shows us that we need to trust him in the message of his gospel. That for our greatest need, we can ask. And we, can, we too can receive. And the multitudes that are hearing this in the moment, that's big news. Jesus already said, you know, unless your, your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes, whose job was to copy and write down perpetually the law and memorize it, and the Pharisees who had made an, an occupation out of, out of some kind of application of spiritual truth, unless your righteousness surpasses them, You have no hope of the kingdom of heaven. That's a big deal. Because a lot of that crowd would be like, well, I'm out. I'm out. But what Jesus clarifies is that, I say that, but here's the thing. No one matches the standards that God has set. No one is completely righteous on their own. And yet, and yet this God that we talk about, who is completely righteous and completely standards, He is gracious and good and brings peace on earth. And He makes a way. So that everyone who asks is given to them. Everyone who knocks the door will be open. Everyone who receives, who asks, receives. The one who seeks finds. That's a beautiful 
beautiful verse. Some people misconstrue that and they think, oh, I can name whatever I want to and go to Jesus. He's got to give it to me. He's the vending machine God. I put my nickel in. I pushed A12. Yay, Jesus, give me what I want. That is not what he's saying. He's speaking about the activity and the need and the desperation for righteousness. But he's saying, you are not left without hope. You are not left without peace and joy and love. I will provide it to those who ask. And know that I will do that. Because if you know how to give good gifts, and and sometimes we do terrible things, how much more so with your Father who is absolutely perfect do it? But know that we fall short. God's character says we can ask Him, but when there's a falling short... Because we see the law and the prophets, the summation that what some people call the golden rule. By the way, the Bible never refers to it as the golden rule. It's just kind of the way we've added a little uh, mnemonic device to it. It says, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. The problem is we don't do that. Sounds nice. Sounds practical. Just don't do it. We just don't. I don't want to do for others what I want to be done for me. I want to do for me what I want to be done for me. That's who we are. There's the offense of sin. And because of it, wide is the road that leads to destruction and broad the path. But yet, there is that narrow way, that beautiful way, that way that makes Christmas so special. And that is the sufficiency of Christ, who takes something otherwise meaningless, a day just like any other day, a place just like any other place, A mess just like any other mess. And he brings something beautiful to it. Jesus reconciles the story and what was going on in the history of the lives of that day. But much more so than just what was happening in one day. Jesus reconciles it all by being that perfect, perfect gift. He provides for us that personal responsibility to find it and the eternal urgency of life that transformation that comes from His righteousness. We need to not only hear the message of Jesus, we need to trust it. Because in it we find grace. In it we find the Gospel. Not only do we need to trust, but there's something that should be natural out of trust. When you trust something, you abide in that trust. You stand up for that trust. You follow that trust. Or something you believe in, you you make a, a proclamation that I stand upon it, I will stand by it, I will walk with it through the fire if I have to. And Jesus says there's something He wants to t- tell about the discernment between those who say they trust and those that do. Those who merely acknowledge some kind of statement and those who who abide in it. And that is fellowship. The natural overflow of real trust. Jesus tells about a judgment that will come. In the middle of after stating about this, being aware of what kind of judgment you place, Jesus wants people to know there is going to be a judgment. He's already spoken about the fact that there is evil people yet can give good gifts. And then He's talked about a narrow way and a wide way. 
But here he says, I want you to be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravaging wolves. By the way, this is where we get the wolves in sheep's clothing imagery. Jesus said it first. Clever, clever Jesus. But Jesus lets us know that we must be discerning about who is actually someone that is a follower of Jesus. And there will be a way to tell them. He says, you'll be able to recognize them by their fruit. Because the good reproducing fruit of grapes comes from good trees. It doesn't come from thorn bushes. Figs don't come from thistles. Something good, substantial, lasting, reproducing, beautiful, helpful, saving, refreshing comes from the true disciples. Everything else is weeds. Everything else devours. Everything else tears. If we're going to bring glory to Jesus, we've got to follow Him. And we've got to make sure the people that are around us know what it means to be a disciple and to teach them to be aware of the falsities that will be out there. We need to tell them what it understand, help them understand what it means and we need to understand what it means to be His fruit-bearing disciples. That just as God has done something to bring new life and, and to put His goodness inside us, it's meant to have the purpose to produce good fruit. This is a bad tree can't produce good fruit. It produces bad fruit. But a good tree, it can't produce bad fruit. If it's a good, healthy tree, it's going to produce what it needs. We'll recognize who's a follower of Jesus by what they produce in their life. Make no mistake, Jesus has made the discernment, the judgment, that I'm going to be checking the fruit. I'm going to be checked. So if you're worried about the whole, oh, don't judge others unless you be judged. Well, just know for this, Jesus is going to judge. That matters. But for those who follow Him, for those who follow Him, they have a message of glory. But for those that don't, this is what Jesus' warning comes, and it's the most startling statement out of the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody thinks the Sermon on the Mount is beautiful until they get to chapter 7 and they like a little bit of it, but then they get to this statement and it's like, whoa, where did that come from? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Lord, didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Wow. Can you imagine that? People that are Scripture speaking, demon kicking, miracle working people, and yet... They do not know Jesus. They have an outer facade, but have never had an inward following. Because of it, no matter how much good they have attempted and the world has seen, they still are without a relationship with Him. They're still without following closely to Jesus. 
they will be called to account. That is crazy. But it shows us that Jesus will not let His gift of grace be diminished. He will not let His gospel work and provision that is the sole way of salvation be diminished. And He will never let His glory be diminished. So we need to seriously come to the point and say, God, have I been attempting some kind of outer shell game here and expecting results? Or have I fallen down on my knees and saying, God, I thank You that You're the only one who ever loved me enough and could ever love me enough to give me this gift. The only one that ever loved me enough to provide the news of my salvation, my hope. And the only one who has brought me along to say, I play a valuable role in bringing glory to you. Help me hear, trust, and follow. And lastly, help me experience. Jesus ends the sermon, like many great sermons, He tells a story. That's the good way to end a sermon, right? Memorable story. Sometimes that can be good. Sometimes it helps you forget everything else was taught. You kind of like, oh, I remember the sermon, but I don't remember any of the other points. I remember I remember the, mess, the little story. But here Jesus gives one that just nails in what he is saying. He wants people to experience his goodness, but he wants to lay before people the choice, once again, to see what he has said, to see what it means, to see how it applies. But then lastly, what will I do about this? And here he lays this story. We've heard it many times. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But, this means there's not a caveat, that's just everybody falls in that category. But everyone who hears these words of mine, they hear it, but do not act on them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and it's collapsed with a great crash. When the, Jesus had finished saying this, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching like one who had authority and not like their scribes. What makes Jesus different is he invites us to hear, trust, and follow him, but to experience the fact that he does something in our life that is transformative beyond anything else, and that is he promises to be with us. That as we follow Him, that's a great thing. But what's so much greater is we have the one that never forsakes us in the first place. We have the one who is with us, who helps us build a foundation for life. And yes, the tribulations are going to come for both the righteous and the unrighteous. But through it all, the ones who trust God, they will never be forsaken. And they will never have an imperfect gift. They will never have an empty gift. They will never have a troublesome gift. They will have a God who says, I give fully. I give with hope that assures. I give with peace that overcomes and surpasses. I give with a love that never fails. And I will never, ever depart from you. Because your foundation is not built on some earthly rock. It's built on me, who never fails you. Lord Jesus, today I, I pray that we have taken time to hear from you, to 
for those that need to trust in you or those that need to trust in you more that we would do it for those that that have this area of their life their next step with you in following i pray that that would happen i pray you would help us all experience you and i pray that prayer not because others need it but because i need it we all need it the world beyond these walls needs it people within these walls None of us is without a pl- within a place to say, ah, humbug. God, we need to come before you and see who you are. To see what you've done, to hear what you've said, and to fall down at your feet and give you glory. Because you give the perfect gift. You give the perfect message, the good news of the gospel. You do everything for glory. And so, God, we experience your good. For those that need to make that next step with you today, help them, Lord. Show them the way. Show them that you never fail. In Jesus' name.